I cried a lot. I, I just was felt like I was thrown back into this world that was insane of like suburban New Jersey and the traffic and the, um, you know, the consumerism. And I just, it was really difficult to do that. And so I knew that year, I knew that it would be my only year that I would do this. And, and then I thought I would just travel forever. I thought, yeah, this is the good life. I'm gonna travel out of backpack. That's gonna be my life. That was Lily from the Dotcher Project, and this is the Yogi Triathlete Podcast. Welcome back, everyone, to episode 22 of the YTP. It is such a joy to be your host. It is such a joy to approach the challenges of each week's episode, to be in service of our audience, to be in service of you guys, to be in service of our guests, in providing quality content for you to accompany you on your commute on your run, on your me time, on your family time. Whenever it is that you listen, we understand you guys, we know you have a choice. And when you pull up the YTP and plug into the conversation, we are so grateful every time you choose that. Not only for us, but for you, for the connections you're making, for the storytellers that we bring you each week. And it's confirmed time and time again when you guys send us your emails telling us how the show is helping you right? Because only you can do it. It's helping you transform your life. It's helping you step into your purpose. And it's helping you conjure the courage to take leaps, no matter how big or small, even if that is just a thought. And that's what we're here to share with you guys. And that is what tells us that we are on track. And this is how we craft our life, our now moments, our future. It's about realizing that we have the right to be the architects of our lives. And in the case of today's guest, we see just how one person can truly live this concept and affect so many around her. Refugees from the Soviet Union, Lily and her family escaped communism for a chance at the American dream. Living in suburban New Jersey, she was quickly introduced to a life where freedom of choice reigns strong. Sugar, malls, consumerism, Lily was transformed into the typical teenager who was set on a course for education, profession, and family in full American style, except that's not what happened at all. While in college, Lily took a course where the study was focused on international culture, and she saw that so many people were living in so many different ways, that thriving in life comes in so many different forms, and this sparked a curiosity, that maybe she had other choices, and that she could create a life that was unique to her, and that there was no right or wrong. And this is where it all starts. This is the mind of a true yogi, a mind that follows inquiry and allows it to flow into a progression of thought into action. By allowing this to happen and by listening to her deepest voice of truth, Lily was led to the inspiration and the ultimate creation of the Dacha Project, a sustainable permaculture, earth-bermed homestead. In Freeville, New York, just outside of Ithaca, we met up with Lily during our stay on the property. After a night of tense searching for a place for BJ and I to stay, we abandoned the search, understanding that it was simply not the time for us to be looking and that we trusted we would have a place to rest our heads. But the next morning, I sat in meditation and I asked, I simply just asked to be shown where we were supposed to go next. 
And after meditation, I got on the Airbnb site and found within minutes this adorable straw bale cottage and booked three nights on what we would find out to be the Dacha Project. More than an education did we receive during our stay. We met new friends, we shared space, and we enjoyed firsthand one of their collaborative in-home community events during our stay. It was a really, really special night. This conversation shows us, I mean, it really does that anything is possible, that living your heart's desire is achievable, and that currency is so much more than money. That is such a limiting thought to think that money is our only sense of currency. So this conversation starts to open that up. And Lily truly is the architect of her life. And we can't wait to see what her endless blueprint will bring her in the future. So thanks again for making the choice to tune into the YTP. If you enjoy this episode, please go to iTunes and leave a review. Not only does it help out the show and our guests, but it gets you in the running for our totally awesome October giveaway with Life Straw. Check out the show notes for this episode at yogitriathlete.com. You'll get all the details here. You'll also get the corresponding blog post and links for this episode. So without further ado, I welcome you into the world of homesteading social capital and what it truly looks like to make living against the grain of society sustainable, inclusive, and full of life. How do you pronounce the, is it Dacha? Mm -hmm. I want to pronounce it right. Yeah, Dacha. Dacha. Dacha project. And what does Dacha mean? Dacha is a Russian word for like a summer home or summer cottage or a little summer house and generally people in like Russian people have for the summer would go down to rent or, or they would build little small places by the Black Sea or other places and uh, it would be sometimes it was very elaborate but sometimes it was like a one-room thing and your mom would go down to the river to wash your diapers and sometimes you didn't have electricity but often they would grow their own food because sometimes during Soviet Union times, uh, the government couldn't provide enough food and people would be growing food at their dachas. So a lot of us who started the project, four out of six were Russian immigrants from different parts uh, of the Soviet Union. And so it just felt right. Like, yeah, this is our like little house. And so it's you and your sister. Mm -hmm. And then any other family members or were they friends or friends? Did you meet here friends. or in Soviet Union? We did not meet in the Soviet Union, but we also didn't meet in Ithaca. We met in college. Um, yeah, in college through like uh, parents, Russian parents who knew each other from D.C. and Jersey and kind of got together that way. So when um, tell us the story about coming over here to America. Like what? Oh, sure. Well, we were uh, all of us who were immigrants that started the project came over when we were kids. So we, our parents were maybe in their 30s or a little older, and we were like seven, eight, or 10. Um, and me and my sister went to Brooklyn first, and then eventually our parents uh, moved us to suburban New Jersey. And it, it was interesting because they were coming from the Soviet Union. We were technically refugees. Um, escaping political um, uh, persecution and um, 
And so they came here because we had like an aunt and uncle who had come in the 70s and they could help us start out. And we had to wait when we left for paperwork to come through. So we were in Italy for six months waiting. Just my dad worked at like a dog kennel. How old were you at that time? I was six or seven. Yeah. And then we moved to Brooklyn. (laughs) And then we discovered like sugar. (laughs) <laughs> interesting never had a donut before in my life yeah that was interesting <laughs> so they came here essentially for to live the American dream in fact they did and they did live the American dream they went from Brooklyn they worked real hard they did the immigrant thing they worked real hard upgraded to a home in the suburbs where they could remodel their kitchen have like good jobs and like have their kids go to good schools and they did that they accomplished their dream so you had, you had all that, and then you yeah. kind of let it go. And, and we, <laughs> we have our experience with letting it all go. So how did that all evolve? I think for you know, the kids, it's always like a, there's partial rebellion there, right? So we tell our parents, oh, you came from the Soviet Union, from communism, where you were forced to share things, and it was terrible. Guess what we're doing? <laughs> Starting like essentially a commune so they were terrified they were horrified they thought it was a horrible idea and like I told you my father said uh, he said Lily you you know communism ruined half my life and you're trying to ruin the other half (laughs) so not too thrilled about that but you can understand why yeah, it's, it's, I think it's interesting um, whether or not you believe in karma or not. Like, I think that's really interesting karma that they come here for the American dream. They raise these kids, they send them to good colleges, and then all of a sudden they want to kind of rid themselves of the Ameri- quote unquote the American dream, which, yeah. you know, we were kind of dissecting what that dream is. And I think that um, you guys have redefined it because you don't look like you're suffering at all. <laughs> you look very vibrant. We just took a tour of the, um, of the property. And uh, what do you have to say about that, Beach? Yeah, it's quite amazing. I mean, it's 16 acres, and there's gardens all over the place, and everything is so strategically planned out, which, which is pretty amazing. There's a purpose behind everything, where the water comes in, which plants are planted where. And it's... It's sort of wild out there. Mm-hmm. You know, you come into this, this house is gorgeous, um, exactly what you need. And then you walk outside and it's nature and everything is happening. Like we were talking before and the butterflies are like gravitating to this, these front gardens here. So this, the property you can just feel is full of life. It's quite, it's quite amazing. And it's fun to sit where we're sitting right now, which is in the main house and it's all glass on the south side. So we're just looking out at trees and at the sky and at all of our plants and all of our weeds and yeah but we're we're seeing that all the time and when you wake up and you see it and that's real nice i like that about our house and there's one thing that we've been um you know we've literally been like living in a tent and um i keep living outside i've just and i've been practicing yoga outside and just and I've been thinking about it here, about how you're sharing your energy with all this life, all this vibrant, powerful, so powerful, this life, and it's all sharing its energy with you. And then you're eating the energy. I mean, I'm looking <laughs> out here at kale, Swiss chard. I mean, this is, for me, this is like 
a kid in a candy shop <laughs> to look at all this amazing food. And um, and then there's a huge box of the most beautiful tomatoes over here that we're going to be um, purchasing some for you guys from you guys to craft our dinner this evening, <laughs> which we're really excited about. So tell us about the house, the um, the way that the house is built. So it's designed. Um, based on the designs for what is called an earth ship, which is a really amazing uh, thing coming from New Mexico, uh, from Taos, New Mexico. And so we call ours the easy earth ship. It's not an earth ship because it is not built out of tires and soda cans, which is really awesome. But we just didn't have the, the time to do that, unfortunately. But we instead made an earth-burned house uh, with, um, so it's buried in the earth in the back and it's made of cinder block. And on the south side, it's all glass. So it is a passive solar earth burned home. And it is heated only by wood from wood stoves. And it is cooled just by the fact of it being buried and by the fact of it being solar passive. And uh, it works, it works well, it's very insulated. Yeah, and you guys were, we were talking earlier, you were off the grid for a little bit, um, for not a little bit, six, six years. Yeah, six years out of the eight mm -hmm. that you've been here. And you were explaining to me about how the batteries, like you had to have the batteries yeah. to be off the grid and they, it no longer made sense because it, you could have just, you can plug into the grid for that extra bit that you need. But how, what percentage do you think is coming from the solar? You know, it's it's difficult to say, but for six years we lived off-grid with solar and also using a diesel generator that we converted to veggie oil. And for you nerds out there, it's called the Lister engine. So you may know what that is. We've got some uh, nerds that are listening. I can promise you that, and we love them. <laughs> yeah, yeah, this thing is for real. But uh, we so just we saw, <laughs> is that what we just saw? Yes. And it's unbelievable. And it's based <laughs> off the design of like from the 1900s, right? Yeah. Back when they made stuff to last. To last, and it, it will, it would. Um, and so for six years, we lived that way. And, you know, we were using normal things. We're, we've got laptops. We have five people. At the time, we had six people living here. Everyone has laptops. Everyone has cell phones. Um, we... So we had normal things. We have lights. Uh, maybe they're all LED, but we have lights, uh, water, um, <clears throat> and everything was running off of those things, uh, and power tools also. But you had to be more conscious about when you were using something. So if you're using a power tool and it's not sunny outside, that's not going to fly. But um, so I'm not sure what the percentage is. That's really hard to say. But the reality is that at least batteries, uh, which is what you need for an off-grid system that's a very important component, and they are very expensive. And maybe now, I think maybe now there's more development in that, where there's more things that are more affordable. But for us, that was a huge expense. And so we came to a point where we needed new batteries, and the price of batteries that would last us maybe 20 years if we were really good with them, uh, the same price would be to connect to the grid forever. So that was a really difficult choice, and it took us a long time debating to see if we wanted to go that way, but we decided that we would, and that we would get more solar panels and try to be, to sell back the power and be as neutral as we can. And that is still a goal. Um, but I think that in general that 
when you're thinking about power and being efficient and green, you need to look at the resources around you. If you're in a place that has a lot of sun all the time, which we are not, then great, maybe solar would be enough for you. Our neighbors have solar and a very small wind turbine. Um, maybe you have a lot of veg oil. Maybe you have an aunt and uncle who owns a pizza shop. You know, maybe that's your thing. So you kind of have to cobble together what you can given what you have available. And in our situation, yeah, we've got some sun. Uh, we had a lot of grease <laughs> and uh, that takes a lot of maintaining. And so now we're, we're partially solar and partially on the grid. And that works for us. Yeah, I think it's just so important to, um, I know you probably deliberated about it so much because you know you wanna live a certain way, but we were discussing earlier about living in the world, but not of it, right? So that we can dip into these things that we have available that man has created. But it's so important, um, this is a message I really like to get out, to not be so caged into your limits of this is how I'm gonna live and that's it to a point where it doesn't make any sense anymore, mm -hmm. you know? And, and that can be from the way that you eat, from the way that you live, the car that you drive, whatever it is, that you create these cages around your life that doesn't allow you to be flexible. Yeah, and I think that can, it's interesting because it can happen either way. Sure, it can come, like you feel like you're in a cage because you're working a, maybe a corporate job and you're working nine to five and you're exhausted and that's one sort of a cage. But it can happen from the other side also from, oh, I wanna live a sustainable lifestyle and you, you become so dedicated to that idea that you're, you're also doing things that are completely unrealistic for you because hey, living off grid is, can be really hard. Farming is, is a lot of work. So you have to find a balance. And I think that's tricky and not to get sucked into whatever your society is. Is your society saying you need to own the most expensive car? Or is your society saying, if you don't have a composting toilet, you're not good enough, whatever it is, <laughs> you know, you gotta be realistic and, and, you know, have a balance. Like, I don't wanna live completely outside of society. I like society, I like people. I want to be amongst them. And if that means that sometimes I have to drive my car and sometimes I have to go to an ice cream shop or something, then I'm going to do, I'm going to do that sometimes. Yeah. It's just diving into what we have available here and we have so much available, but I feel sometimes like I feel those ways of the world pulling me in. Like when you go to a store and it's like, I want to buy something. And can you speak to that? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, definitely. Cause I grew up mostly after immigrating. I feel like most of my growing up happened in suburban New Jersey. This is the land of malls. And I was ever so lucky to live walking distance from a mall. Oh, that would have been a dream of mine. I always had to get a ride. It was awful. Yeah. Me and my friends were mall rats. Like for a while, this was a reality. And uh, I remember that being a big social thing. You know, you go to the mall and you'd totally. shop and oh, two for one sweaters, sweet. And uh, you know, with my girlfriends, like this was a part of my life. and. And now when I find myself in these places, I have these two sides, one of which is like, ooh, I wanna buy something. Like that feeling, ooh, I really wanna buy something. And then I'll come home and I'll try it on, I'll have it, and then the joy will slowly leak away. So I'll be in a store and I'll be thinking like, is there anything I need, like I actually need? There's gotta be something I need, right? Then I can buy it. Uh, but then usually there isn't. There's just nothing I need. And then I 
kind of weigh that against thinking, well, if I purchase something, whatever it is, that is money. And that's some, that, that money equals to me a worry I'm going to have later. Because then later I'm going to be sitting at home thinking, oh man, I got to figure out a way to make this money. I got to have stress over that. I, everybody, I think, has anxiety over that. And if I don't buy this item, that reduces that anxiety by that many dollars. And so often just that thought gets me through them all, you know? <laughs> so, uh, so yeah, I feel like that's, that's something I'm constantly weighing is what's worth more to me, having this item for, that it will only bring me so much joy realistically or having the time to just do what I want to do and, uh, and, and, yeah, invest my time where I want it. And, and not feel that stress, to, to have spontaneity, to think I have a day and I can do anything right now and I have that freedom. And I think that's worth more to me. So that's how it goes. Yeah, I think that that is, um, that's true living. Yeah, I was gonna, I was thinking as you're saying that, that you are walking into this mall and you have control over, whereas before as a kid, you were just overblown by stimulus of this is cool this is what everybody has and now you're sort of pausing and weighing the options which do you think you could have gotten that perspective if you weren't in the place you are now here these past six years and understanding that you know every dollar that you make is valuable Mm -hmm. like you have that not that you probably weren't thinking of it as a kid but now you've got a nice solid understanding so do you think I know the answer to this question, but if more people could do this and have an appreciation for where everything comes from and where things should be spent. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it's it's like when you're a kid, you're just, you only know the world that you're in. So that was my world. I didn't, I never questioned it. I never wondered about it. I think, yeah, you start, well, I started to wonder about it more when, yeah, I had to go, I graduated college and I was on this path that seemed like a very normal path. Like I'm going to get a job. I'm going to do what normal people in my normal world do. Um, and then I worked that job and, and actually it was a great job, but you know, any job, even if you love it, like I was a English teacher um, and I loved being in high school and it was, it was a great job. I mean, it's very rewarding, it's very challenging, but doing that every day. And I had to wake up so early and I, I cannot, I do not like waking up at six in the morning. It's just not me, it's not for everyone. And doing that every day, I mean, it's exhausting. You lose yourself. And then you really start to think, okay, well, what, what do I need to do to, to get out of that? And, and you know, uh, what's reasonable for me? You know, and, and I think you slowly, everyone has their own way of getting to that point. But I think if you start to pare it down, you say, okay, well, if I'm not willing to do this, what do I need to do to, to still survive or still have you know, friends or, or whatever it is that you want. And then you can pare that down pretty well. And I think, I think now, you know, I, I realize that I'm, I'm not willing to do those things and, and I actually don't need that much, that I don't need so much stuff. I don't need that money. I don't need to work uh, in that style in order to have the things that are valuable to me. Um, yeah, so I'm not sure if I totally answered that, but yeah, I think it's perfect because it, it's so aligned with our podcast. Was there was there just one defining moment where you're an English teacher and you're like, 
I need to start doing this? Or is it more of a trickle effect where you started to research, maybe this would be an opportunity, and then you slowly made the progression towards where you are now? Actually, what happened for me was that I, after I graduated college, I um, had the summer before starting my job, and a friend of mine said, hey, I um, went out to California to Yosemite. And there you can work there in this beautiful park and live there in this park while you work. And I thought, okay, great. I've never really gone that far by myself before and I have this chance. So uh, so he and I went on a road trip, just like you're doing, to <laughs> California. And we went to work in Yosemite National Park. And living out there, there's a whole unintentional community of people who work there. And, and now it's changed, I think. But at the time, there's people from all over the world and we're living in tents, right? You're living in tents. Uh, you have like a communal laundry um, and a lot of communal things. And, and you're there because you're, you've got this job. And the jobs were terrible, horrible jobs. But, uh, but living out there in this backyard of Yosemite, I mean, you're, there's bears, there's mountain lions, there's amazing rocks and rock climbing and it's just so beautiful and then I realized from living that way because we were living in a tent out of a backpack out of a car I was like this is really the life for me I want to live out in real nature um, I want to be surrounded by these kinds of people uh, who who appreciate it and and I can live on so little this is so easy it wasn't difficult to live that way I, I wasn't really missing anything um, and then I had to go back to suburban New Jersey. And I thought that I was moving up because I was moving from like central Jersey, suburban Jersey, with a lot of strip malls to North Jersey, which had uh, more like actual nature and some rocks and stuff. But compared to Yosemite, this was like nothing. It was a puddle compared to an ocean. So now I was just, it was like heartbreaking to come back. I was totally heartbroken and I, I cried a lot. I, I just was felt like I was thrown back into this world that was insane of like suburban New Jersey and the traffic and the, um, you know, the consumerism. And I just, it was really difficult to do that. And so I knew that year, I knew that it would be my only year that I would do this. And, and then I thought I would just travel forever. I thought, yeah, this is the good life. I'm going to travel out of backpack. That's going to be my life. And so then how was the your project born yes yeah, so. whose brainchild was that and so you yeah. had told me earlier that was the one year that you taught yeah like that was your full-time job yeah you did it one year and then you were like that was all you needed yeah that was all I ever did I never worked another full-time job again uh, it's possible <laughs> um, yeah so what happened was I thought this is life for me I'm never gonna have a mortgage I'm never going to like own anything big that will tie me down. I'm just going to travel. But so. you weren't you weren't raised in that kind of environment. Neither no. was I. It was yeah. you go to high school, you go to yeah. college, you get a job. Like for me, it was you get a job, you make sure you're independent and self-sustainable, and then you can get married. Like my parent, like it, in our family, it was like it should be a crime to get married in your <laughs> 20s. So I always thought like, okay, when I'm 30, I'm going to get married, and we got married when I was 30. And then I had to do so much undoing because there was that spirit inside of me that was just clawing to get out of the cage that I created, not nobody forced it on me, but I created. And so, so you kind of had the same thing, like you grew up in an environment, but there was a part of you that needed out. Yeah. 
Absolutely. I, I'm not sure what exactly sparked it, but I know, yeah, that I was on this path. I was on a path of like, I was going to college like I was supposed to. I was getting a job right out of college like I was supposed to. But, um, but a lot of things happened. In college, I was inspired to change a lot of my life. Um, I was also in like a long relationship of five years that I ended also in a way where I, I, was, I had this class that was, um, it was actually a gender theory class. And I remember that we talked about, I think this was part of the spark, we talked about um, other cultures and we were talking about anthropology. And we were talking about cultures that did things so differently in a way that was just shocking, you know? And to me, when I learned about these things, I thought to myself, well, <clears throat> this is how this culture does this. And it, to me, seems insane. It is so crazy to me. But who's to say? I mean, who's to say that their way is wrong and my way is right? I mean, there's really no authority on that. There's no way to know that. And so if that's a fact, if, if there are huge groups of people who are living in totally different ways than I know of, then that means the possibilities are open. That means I can create my own version, in fact, of what I want to be the reality. Um, because there's no right or wrong, you know? So that, learning that in college was crucial for me. And that was pre-going to Yosemite. So yeah. there was a seed there that was starting to get fertilized. Yes. Okay, and then bring us up to the birth of this amazing place that we're sitting at. Yeah, so that involves a lot of fun stuff, uh, including couch surfing, woofing. So if you don't know what those are, couch surfing is a website where you can sleep on people's couches for free while you travel. Woofing. I believe stands for like worldwide workers on organic farms and it's a program where you can work on people's farms in exchange for housing and food and the dacha actually is now part of woofing so you can woof at the dacha. Oh that's so wonderful and actually we were I was just listening to a podcast that I recorded with a friend of ours back in Newport who just did this down in South America so that's where I first learned about it now you're telling me about it so it seems like something's being planted yeah. over here as well. Okay, For go sure. on. So, uh, yeah, so after we came back um, from Yosemite and I worked my job, I quit my job, and me and my friends and my sister, <clears throat> who had come with me to Yosemite also and fell in love with that life, uh, we were like, okay, well, let's keep going. Where we go next? And we just randomly thought, let's go to Hawaii. Mm -hmm. Just kind of popped in there. And so we thought, well, we don't have much money, so how do we travel here? So we thought, let's woof, because you'll get free accommodations and food, and we'll do a little work, but we'll get, we'll get to live there without expenses. And, and I think a lot of people always ask, because I travel a lot even still, people are always like, how can you afford to, because I make so little money, I make $6,000 a year, like around that number, that is the true facts. But I can travel because I know resources like couch surfing and woofing and a million other things. So we went woofing and in Hawaii. And while we were there, we were looking for a couch surfer. And this guy uh, took us in. He was living also off grid in this out nowhere place on the big island. And he, I think, was very lonely out there. So he didn't mind that there was four of us who were, were looking for a place. And so this guy, Joe, who... Uh, was originally from Indiana and had built a house um, and was into sustainability and all this stuff, started telling us about this. And <clears throat> we were 
I'm just like, what? You can't build your own house. It's just that idea never even occurred to me ever. In fact, my friends and I, a whole bunch of us like Russian immigrants and other immigrants and, and Americans too, were thinking of maybe like buying a house altogether, like a vacation house where we could go skiing and snowboarding in the winters. Um, like maybe 20 of us going in on this vacation house. And when he started talking about building a house, we were like, yeah, no, that sounds cool. We'll build a house and it'll be like a place to return to from travel because usually we'd have to come home to our parents' house in New Jersey. No one wants to do that. And so <laughs> I'm allowed to make fun of New Jersey because I lived there for a very long time. And um, so I thought this is a great idea. And I, I have to say that the truth is for me anyway, I can't speak for everyone in the house. I was a little tricked into doing this because I thought having no experience building um, I thought it'll take a year. And, and, and Joe, who is a wonderful creative person who learned all the skills of building on his own, kind of allowed that false idea to live. And we're like, yeah, it'll take a year, we'll work real hard, build this house in a year, and then we'll keep going traveling and we'll come back to this cool crash pad that we've built with our friends. How awesome, it won't cost us a lot because we'll all pitch in um, and it'll be great. And of course, that was not true because it took many years to build and it was a lot harder and, and than I thought. But in the process of building it, I fell in love with the town and the community and with the lifestyle and now I live here. But for me anyway, originally I wasn't thinking, oh, I wanna live this sustainable homestead lifestyle. I was thinking freedom. I was like, this will allow me the maximum amount of freedom because I will have this place that I won't have a financial burden or a burden to take care of it all by myself. Um, and I will be able to travel as much as I want and return to it. So that was my motivation. And so how did you pick Ithaca? <laughs> so like, where does Ithaca <laughs> come in? Because yeah. it is a super cool town. We, uh, I, I had heard that before. Um, I don't think you realized I that was it was- I was shocked this morning. He was, in, he was like, it was like he just walked into heaven. It was such, it's such a cool little town. Yeah, the organic market and the 50 meter lap pool, the <laughs> things that I like. You like that. <laughs> and then I learned so much from you about some of the different things that are going on in town. But how did you land here? Somewhere between Yosemite and Joe's couch and yeah. suburban New Jersey. It was so random, I have to say. It was so, while I was in Hawaii, I lived there for about six months. And during that time, I was like, okay, if we're gonna do this project, and I told all my friends about the project, by the way, and most of them were like, no way, this is insane. Like, we're not gonna do this, that's crazy. You can't do this. And so out of like the 20 people I tried to wrangle into it, six was the people who decided. Perfect number. And how many, yeah. how long was it of you trying to like, building the dream in your mind? Like, what was that, a year, six months? It, was, it wasn't even that long, because I think within like three months, of living in Hawaii and talking about it, I was sold. And I came home after three months, convinced the, the six people, or uh, my sister already was on, she didn't convincing, and, um, and so we, we convinced the other people into it, and then three months later after that, we were looking for land. So it took about six months total to kind of really be on board with this whole idea. Um, it happened really fast, and, uh, and so as I was in Hawaii and I was like, okay, we're gonna do this. I was like, I better read some books about co-living and co-housing. And 
uh, this girl gave me a bunch of books about it. And one of them was about the Ithaca eco-village we have here. Um, and it was about all these people in the 80s who came together and built this eco-village. It's a couple miles outside of Ithaca. And it, uh, the book is by Liz Walker. And I just read it to learn about different ways, you know, among other things I was reading. So I knew about Ithaca, but I did not really know that much about it. And I didn't think of it as a possibility because I, the book had described it as a place that was very expensive to live. And so I never really considered it. But we had decided, the six of us, because our families were all in the DC, Jersey area, that we didn't want to go too far away from our families. We didn't want to be on the other side of the country. So we said, okay, let's have like this five hour radius from the areas we, that our parents live. So we started looking in the Adirondacks and Southern Vermont. And uh, as we were there, we, we were couch surfing as we were looking for land and we realized oh my God, these places are so remote. Like anything we could afford had five feet of snow in April. You know, five feet of snow. I mean, we're out there in the middle of nowhere. We're thinking we're hearing bears and they're really snowmobiles. It's, it was a lot for us. And because we didn't want to like escape society and these places didn't have cell phone coverage at all. So very isolated. And we weren't exactly prepared for this. I mean, we're in our 20s, mid 20s. And um, so as we were couch surfing and driving around and we realized the Adirondacks wouldn't work and, and Vermont wouldn't work and uh, Joe said, well, didn't you read some book about Ithaca? We have a couch surfer near Ithaca. And I said, well, I think that's too expensive. I don't know if it's going to work. He's like, well, we have nowhere else to go. Let's just go. So we roll in to a town north of Ithaca near here, Groton, to this real estate agent and he shows us a few pieces of land he said, you might like this one. You know, no one's bought it. It's off the road. No one seems to want it. And we looked at a few places and this spot where we are here are now just seemed like the best option. And it wasn't even a moment of like, like I stepped onto the land and I was like, this is it. This is where we shall. No, that didn't happen. I didn't know anything. I just remember coming onto it. It was a rainy day. There was still some patches of snow. It was gray and ugly. And I just remember thinking, huh, this isn't so bad. <laughs> And it was just, it was just, just like, it didn't seem so bad. It just, it was nice. I thought I saw some birch trees, which later I realized were not birch, but it just had like Southern exposure on a little hill and it was, it was just nice. And, and then everything just kind of started to work out because the next, very next weekend, we all were available and we all came down to look at this one piece. And from the moment that everyone was here together and we have video of this, we started saying, oh, look, that's our bunny and that's our neighbor and that's the skunk cabbage we'll be living near. And, and we just already started to own it from walking around it and we just felt it to be ours. It sounded like the, the energy of the property was like reaching out to you. Definitely. It, didn't, it wasn't like this mystical, magical moment. It was just the property was like, there they are. Yeah. Let's welcome them in. It was just felt right. Yeah. And, and it wasn't, you know, I'd never looked for land before. So I hadn't, people were like, you'll just know. And I was like, I'm not going to know. I know nothing about this. But just something, in, just a little tiny thing that said, huh, maybe here. <laughs> Yeah, it's absolutely beautiful. And just the way that the hill, how you were telling us about how the water runs down and you have a, a pond on site, um, which is a little low right now because there's such a serious drought going on, but you've created like essentially what people pay 
how much is a pool? $15,000 for a pool? And you've created this amazing like outdoor pool with a dock and you can jump off and you've got like sand and a yeah. fire pit. <laughs> it's like, it's, it's amazing. It's like BJ said, there's so much life here. And to me, this is, this is life. And not to say that getting in your car and driving into the city and working at a job is not life. It is. It's the message we want to get out is if, if that's not feeling aligned, start to get curious about that. Mm-hmm. Whatever yeah. it is, get just always be curious about what you're doing, why you're doing it. And is it filling you up? Yeah, because the truth is that even though I, I'm happy to be sustainably minded and, and I care about the environment and the planet and all these organic things. I, I care about those things. But the truth is that I'm selfish enough that if this wasn't fun, I wouldn't do it. it I wouldn't do it because, you know, I, I do believe that I'm, I'm here to enjoy life. And if it wasn't fun for me to live like this with other people, to be farming and doing this kind of work, if I didn't enjoy it, I would stop. And I wouldn't care that it was hurting the planet because I wouldn't enjoy it. So I feel like it's nice that it, it is bringing me a lot of happiness. Um, you know, so you have to figure out what that is for you. Obviously. Yeah, and we were just, what you were just saying reminds me of something that um, these friends that um, we became very close with, well, in our seven weeks in Lake Placid, Brian and Karen Delaney, we had dinner at their house one of the final nights that we were there and they they're just such pillars of community and they have a bike shop which is also like mountain guides and and um mountain bike guides and you know everything and kayaks and paddleboards and they've created this huge thing and they're so entrenched in the community and they're just going 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 and a lot of people look at them including bj and i and say how do you keep doing it and brian said he said well i say to karen all the time you work every day of your life yet you've never worked a day in your life and I think that's, it doesn't matter if, you're, if your days are long out farming or whatever it may be, or in the car going to your job. Do you feel like it's work? Do you feel like it's work? And we um, just launched a podcast a couple weeks ago with um, a mentor of mine um, from yoga. And we talk about, you know, the minute it's like the, the moment you fall out of flow and, and life becomes work. And why would you want to stay there? You know, so there's always an out. There's always something and the journey is unique for everyone. And so tell us a little bit more about Ithaca and like how you guys are a part of this community through, you know, the farming and things like that. But some of the cool things that you were telling us this morning about how you're creating currency, not so much through the dollar bill. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think Ithaca is a really unique place um, in the surrounding area because it has a lot of these kinds of resources that are um, like some people like to call social capital, um, but don't try to say that at a bank because they won't know what you're talking about. Um, but who would have, who would ever do that? Uh, yeah, no, definitely not me trying to get a loan <laughs> and not getting one. Um, yeah, I tried to tell the guy I have social capital, and he's like, "What's that?" I'm like, "Well, it's like I dog sit for my neighbors, and they give me eggs, and like I swap clothes with my friends. Like I don't have to buy stuff. My mechanic is my buddy because." you know, I help him out. And he just looked at me completely confused. But um, 
But yeah, and I think, so Ithaca has a lot of that stuff. So for example, when I first came here and, and up till now, I've been uh, helping organize what's called the Ithaca Free School. And free school is something that's all over the world. Um, and it's pretty much saying, hey, anyone has a skill or an ability to contribute to um, their community. So uh, anyone can teach a class. So suppose, hey, you happen to know a lot about bees or you happen to... Uh, really love reading books and you want to share that. So it's free classes for the community taught by the community. And, and that's a local resource. Um, and then there's also amazingly a time bank here, the Tompkins Time Traders, which um, pretty much says, hey, if you come and let's say you teach me how to sew for a couple hours, now you've earned these hours and then I can trade my hours for something else, like someone coming to help me with plumbing or... Um, babysitting or whatever skills the community offers. And that's also not an Ithaca thing. That's that's uh, something we got actually from Maine, but I think it's all over in different communities as well. Um, there's free dinners for people in Ithaca um, called Loaves and Fishes. And it's not just for people who are homeless or poor. It's for anybody in the community to come and eat and creates uh, a space there. So there's just a lot of people doing amazing things. Oh, there, there's a thing called Share Tomkins where people would just like, yeah, come together and they'd have like a, a really, really free market where everyone would just bring stuff for free and anyone could take anything for free. Um, so there's a lot of that in the community. There's a lot of that in the local community where you're like, you know, we get things from our neighbors and we trade for things and, and if you help people out, they'll want to help you. So and you can do that with a lot of things without money. And I feel like you can get more and more creative with that every year um, until you can live on something like $6,000 a year. You know, And I think that's also an important point in general just to say that me and my friends here, we did not come from a lot of money. None of us had any substantial amount of money. When we started this project or now, um, we just, went slowly and and we found a lot of reclaimed resources we did a lot of creative work to figure out how to make this happen but none of us had just like a ton of money to unload on this project this, this is a very actually cheap house uh considering you know how many people live here um and and you know how much we spent on it overall and it's big what's the square footage of this house it's like it's 100 feet by roughly 25 feet so 2,500. 2,500, yeah. Yeah. So it's a, it's a big house. I mean, there's five people here living now. There used to be six people and a baby. Hmm. Um, so it, it's a, a number of people. But um, because we went slow and paid what we could and we never had a mortgage, we paid the seller back for the, for the land, um, we really didn't spend more than what a person would spend reasonably on rent. Um, and, and I would say even less than that. And now you own it outright. Yeah, we own it outright. Mm -hmm. So you, with all this bountiful land that you have, it's producing vegetables and fruits. Where is this? Where's the next step for this? So you participate in some local farmers markets. Uh, yeah, we want to get involved in our community, especially now that we feel more comfortable in the actual structural things of our house. Uh, so one thing, yeah, we have a small farm, and we. Uh, sell vegetables to grocery stores, to restaurants, local restaurants, and we have uh, we go to a couple farmers, small farmers markets, to sell our produce. 
Um, and we also, of course, use that to feed ourselves and our friends and guests and like freeze things for the winter. We also are involved, a lot of us are involved in the arts. And so that's something that we like to do here. Uh, we've had different workshops, um, some of which like uh, have like agriculture and arts. Like we had um, a mushroom inoculation workshop for people who want to grow their own mushrooms. Um, we've had uh, a training for health, uh, for street medics. So people who are going to like protests or things and, and being street medics. We've had someone out here on the property training people how to do that. Uh, we've also done now more uh, arts involved things like having, um, we had a collaboration of art and agriculture recently, which we called Mutant Corn. And it was discussing uh, people's feelings about GMO corn and products. And what we did was we grew a bunch of corn that was uh, actually very different, very beautiful corn that was like different colors. And we kind of let it crossbreed and, and saw as an art project, not uh, an edible thing. But And then we invited people over and we had some theater that was like corn mythology. We had a puppet show that was all silly and about corn. Uh, we had a musical performance because two of the people who live here currently are classical musicians, uh, classical guitarists. and. And we combined that with talking about GMO and talking about food and, and farmers were here and, and musicians were here. And that was a nice collaborative art project. Um, and uh, now we're also doing some theater, some immersive theater stuff. We've got a house concert tomorrow here. Uh, so we are interested in doing things in the community, with the community, with art, with agriculture, and collaborating with other members of our community. And so how can, they, how can people in the community find out about this? Is it through com community resources? Do you have a website? We have a website, it's dachaproject.com. And yeah, we have a website, um, we have a Facebook page, um, and we, you know, invite people here for some uh, public events, um, and we have an Airbnb that people can come stay. And we also are very happy to give tours. We often are on the green building tour, which usually happens in October, where people can visit different uh, green building houses and structures in the area. Um, and if people get in touch with us, we generally will give them a tour. It's pretty special to make the trip up here. And it's not even that far out of town. I mean, we shot into town really quick this morning. It's a lot, it's pretty direct route in. So I know we're going to wrap it up here because you're doing something creative mm -hmm. uh, in this space in a few moments. But, oh yeah, you are uh, a puppeteer by trade. Yeah. So well, how did that start? Like, let's talk about that just for a few minutes and then I want to wrap it up with a closing question. Okay. Yeah, so, uh, you know, so like I said, I used to be an English teacher for a brief moment there and that's what I went to school for. And then as I realized that I didn't want to have full-time jobs, I, I started doing odd jobs. And, um, and in my travels, when I was in Hawaii, actually, I stayed with some people who were very generous and they just had like a puppet there and we played with the puppet. And when I came home, I wanted to send them a gift. I thought, what if I made them uh, like a unique puppet? And I looked up a website, how to make them. It was very boring and very detailed. And I made this puppet and pretty much I made one. It was really cute. I made a second one, I made a third. I started doing little videos just for my friends. And then a couple years ago when um, a job that I was working, which was a really nice job, 
but they had to let us go because they ran out of funding. And I thought, well, I can either scope out other random odd jobs that I'm not super committed to, or I can actually try out this puppeteer thing and see if I can make it work. And, and you know, because I live with my friends and my family, they're very supportive and they're like, yeah, you could do this. And that support helped me actually try this out. And, and now it's been two years and I am doing it and it's happening, it's great. I do puppet shows for schools and I do workshops, I do birthday parties and festivals and, um, and I really like it. So yeah, I'm making it work. I'm a puppeteer. <laughs> I love it. I mean, and, and you know, uh, becoming a puppeteer or writing a book or signing up for a marathon, whatever it is, it's like it all takes that same bravery, right? To step into it and say, I, I think I want to do this, you know, and having the support of family and friends is is so precious. It's it's everything you need to to step forward, but it's also nothing without believing in yourself. It's true. It's true. It's it's a lot of saying, can I really do this? Can I really can I really do this? Yeah. And and you can. And I think it's true that for a lot of people, if you start doing something that you love, if you really dedicate yourself to that, it will eventually uh, help you and it will become either lucrative or or like help you survive. And and I think that that's really true. Even if you read like blogs about people who are super early retirers, I mean, that's a thing. And then they will say, you know, you'll retire early. You'll start doing things you love and eventually the things you love will make you money, you know, if that's what you're looking for. And and it's true, you know. So what would you say to somebody who, I love that advice you gave. It's, it's I mean, it's, it's the key to life, right, in those words. But what would you say to somebody who says, I don't know what I love? How would they start looking? I guess, like you said, I think it, then you just start being curious. You, you see, you start, you make a list. You make a list of things that make you happy and they can be anything. You know, they can be very small things. I mean, to say like, oh, I like making doll, like a doll that I, you know, out of scraps and I'm gonna put it on my hand and talk to myself, doesn't really sound like much, you know, but then it, it builds. So I think number one is making the space to be able to think about what you love and, and who you are and, and what you like and what brings you joy. Just having that space to think about that and, and, and then exploring. Yeah, trying out, see what other people are up to and see what draws you. Eventually something will pull you in. Um, it's, you don't have to do a lot of work for it. You really more just have to, you know, yeah, open yourself up to it and, and uh, become curious and uh, not limit yourself to thinking that you only have so many options. And so I just want to know what, what, what's next? Like what, what will happen? I don't like to go too far into the future, but you know, what's, what's on the horizon for you guys for the Dodger project? Um, I don't know. I think, I think we're going to do more, more art and more theater and reach out to the community more. Um, might have a baby. <laughs> Pregnant pause. Yeah. That whole idea. <laughs> that whole thing. Saying that out I loud. I think hard. bringing a little soul into this environment, like that soul is just waiting. Yeah. It'll yeah. be the right match. <laughs> Everything is energy. It's, it could be a whole other adventure. But, um, but yeah, for now, I think we're just, 
we're improving things slowly and and I think we're all excited to to delve into more theater and bring more people out here and have events um, and do more art and collaborate with other people. So I think we're, we're just getting really now to a point having fixed enough things that are broken and like <laughs> finished construction to a point where we can reach more outward. You know, it's like they say, you have to work on yourself first before you can help others. But in a way we had to fix up our house first before we could invite everyone over. So, so I don't know, it, it's, it's kind of an open book right now. Like we, we are comfortable, we have food and there's just so much that's possible. You know, it's, it's hard to even think about. Perfect. I think that's a great place to wrap it up. Well, thank you so much. We're here for another couple nights, so we will be on site at the Homestead for the in-house concert tomorrow night. We're yeah. really excited. And thank you so much, Lily, for not only being here with us today, but for creating this amazing space with everyone around you so that people like us who are curious, you know, can come and check it out and learn and experience another way of life. Cool. Thank you so much for having me. Another episode of the YTP in your awareness. Thank you again for tuning in. It truly is such a pleasure to be your host and to create this show for you guys every week. We are being led from guest to guest and it's just, it's amazing the pathways that are opening up and the people that we're being connected with. And I truly believe that every time you listen in, there is no mistake about that, that you are supposed to hear these messages. So don't let them fall on deaf ears. If there's things that speak to you, start to get curious about that and start to get the draft paper out and create this amazing life that you are totally entitled to, that you are completely worthy of. And it all starts with just choosing that high vibe of life. I can't say it enough. So ride the high vibe, you guys. We will check in with you next week with Aid awesome guest. I don't know who that's going to be yet, but we will see. And thank you again for making the choice. Get to iTunes, leave your review. Let's do it for the good of all. And don't forget the good of all includes you.